Welcome to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help you, the technology professional, accelerate your career progression, increase your job satisfaction, and be more effective in your existing role. We want to bring listeners like you the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm John White at VJourneyman on Twitter, sharing co-host duties with Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore. We're two former IT operations guys who have moved on to pre-sales roles with technology vendors. We have our opinions, but we also like to highlight the journeys of others and see what we can learn from them. We'd also like to ask for your feedback to make this a conversation, not a one-way broadcast. Email us at nerdjourneypodcast at gmail.com or DM us at nerdjourney on Twitter. So come join us on our nerd journey. Let's take a trip. Thanks for being a part of episode 260 here on Nerd Journey. This week kicks off a series of discussions with our guest, Brandon Seymour. He's a director of solution architects at a technology solutions company called Callion, and he's the co-leader of a community group here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Brandon happens to be one of the few, the proud, the Marines. And in this discussion, you're going to hear his story of joining the Marine Corps and why he did it what it was like to go through a Marine boot camp. He'll recount being severely injured during his time of service and what it was like to transition back to life as a civilian. What are some of the challenges veterans experience that we just don't see? I think you'll enjoy hearing Brandon's perspective on that. After serving in the military, Brandon decided to focus once again on technology, going back to something he used to love growing up. And then after breaking into the workforce in technology, he decided to change his focus. But why'd he do it? And how exactly did he go about it? Let's catch the full story as we explore part one of our discussion with Brandon Seymour. Brandon Seymour, welcome to Nerd Journey. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you being here. Let's start by telling our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do today, please. You bet. Uh, My name is Brandon Seymour. I serve as a director of solutions architects for a company called Callion. They are based out of Canada, but back in March of 2022, they acquired a company called Computex. Not sure if you're familiar with them. They're a solutions provider, uh, similar to some of the other companies I worked for in the past. Um, So I've been here currently around three months now, I believe. Well, we definitely want to dig into how that's going, but let's go into the Wayback Machine a little bit, Brandon. If I recall, you served in the Marines. Can you speak to the reasoning behind wanting to join and some of the things that maybe you learned as a result? Yeah, that's uh, that's always an interesting story. So we'll go way back because I am currently 47 years old now. So this has uh, been quite a journey backwards in time. I was in college at the time. I was attending the University of Arkansas and I met an individual who was joining the Marine Corps right out of college. I think I was similar to a lot of people where you have, you know, you go through high school, you do your thing with college. And I think sometimes kids 
at that age need a break either before college or somewhere around there. They, they tend to want to go and be adventurous. And that's sort of what was driving me in that direction that I needed a few things in my life at that time. I needed an adventure to fulfill. But I also came from a home that didn't have a father. So I needed something to help me discover who I was as a man. And I looked to the Marine Corps to kind of fulfill both of those things for me. So that's what got my interest going for going into the Marine Corps, plus the fact that I could go in with this friend of mine who was promised to go through boot camp with me and that felt a little bit more safe to me. I would know somebody right off the bat when I went into boot camp and I could, uh, you know, go through this thing together. Now, historically, my grandfather was a Marine. And um, so there was that, you know, aspect of hearing stories of Marines and knowing that the Marine Corps had the most difficult boot camp out of all the services. And so not everybody was able to become a Marine. So if this was something that I could accomplish, then I felt like you know, it sort of settled the the notion of how much of a man I would <laughs> I would be, right? I don't know. And what were you studying at the time when you had started college? When I went to college, I went to college for international economics. At the time, um, Walmart had invested in the business college for the university, and they had developed a new program around international economics. So my thought was. I would get a degree in international economics and then go work for Walmart and manage all their finances and be a billionaire. That didn't work out. Still working on that one? I am not a billionaire. Yeah, me neither. Totally understand. Yeah, so going into the Marine Corps, it was definitely something that I needed at the time. I needed something to bring areas of discipline in my life. I needed something to give me a little bit more direction in life. I needed something to bring some adventure in my life. And it fulfilled all those things for me. How long into your college, let's just say career, did the going into the Marines happen? Was it early on or a couple of years in? I finished around two years of college and then left for the Marine Corps. Um, I didn't even tell my mom that I was leaving college and going to the Marines until she uh, drove me there to the airport to go to boot camp. Oh, wow. She did not know. She basically cried the whole drive thinking that possibly I was making a huge mistake. But uh, I think looking back, she recognizes it was something that I needed to do at the time. A lot of times the service branches will offer educational opportunities for people, you know, pay for the rest of your school to, to go into that. Was that offer on the table or was that not really a consideration point outside of the things you mentioned, needing to find out who you were and a little bit about what you were made of? You know, obviously, when you join the military, you can take advantage of their GI Bill, which helps pay for college, um, which I did after service. So after I finished my service, I got out on a medical discharge because I broke my back and my legs. And I decided to go back to school at that point and used my GI Bill to go back to school and get some certifications in computers. Once you went into the Marines and had heard about the difficulty of the boot camp, how did the experience stack up to all the stories you had heard about the difficulty and how did you deal with those? Yeah, so I think there's a definite mental aspect to boot camp. 
that can really wreck people. Um, I've known individuals that have attempted to make it through boot camp and were not successful. And I think it takes a, 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 a mental fortitude to get through boot camp where you learn how to deal with very, very stressful situations, but how to remain calm through them and think logically through the situation to get yourself and those around you out of the situation that you find yourself in. You want to get to the other side of whatever it is that you're trying to cross. One of the things that they do or we went through in boot camp, I was one of the first to go through something called the crucible. And the crucible, we actually had our platoon followed with with a, a camera crew and they videotaped us going through boot camp. And it, I think the, the video is called The Making of a Marine. And it was the first time somebody had been filmed through the crucible. And what the crucible was, was at the very end of boot camp, um, you went to Camp Pendleton and you would go through obstacles. So they wanted to put you in sort of a realistic situation of feeling what it was like to have the fog of war and what it was like to get little sleep, little food, and have to do a lot of grueling exercises and obstacles with your squad um, to ensure that you could get through each one of these obstacles and think through them um, without falling apart. And it culminates with a, a march and then you climb uh, a huge uh, mountain and you come to the other side of it. And that's sort of when you get your first Eagle Globe and Anchor. And that's when you, you know, officially without going across the parade deck at graduation, you're an official Marine at that point. You've received your first Eagle Globe and Anchor. So you've achieved something extremely difficult and have come out the other side. And I think that has always stuck with me that that accomplishment of that boot camp has always stuck with me. So whenever I look back or I'm going through something that's difficult, I can always look back at that and point back to that moment in time and say, if I was able to accomplish that, then I can accomplish other things as well. Were you a pretty fit individual, like good physical condition going into the boot camp? Or was that essentially something you had to pick up and, and really dive into as part of it? Yeah, I was actually pretty pretty fit. I swam competitively um, most of my younger life, um, so I had that. And I always played sports. Uh, my generation, um, being the Gen X, we kind of grew up with our parents locking the door and saying, come home at night. And so we were always outside playing basketball or, you know, grabbing some mitts and playing a baseball game. Or, you know, even with school, it was running track playing basketball, football, swimming. So I was a very active kid. And by the time I went to boot camp, I didn't really struggle with the physical pieces of it. And in a sense, didn't really struggle with the mental aspect of it all at all either. Um, I graduated as first squad leader. So I, I was promoted right in boot camp. So I was promoted out of boot camp and that was very helpful as well. But Part of the mental aspect of uh, the boot camp was due to growing up in a home that was kind of like a boot camp of its own making. I didn't really grow up in a secure home. So I think the way that I was raised, I was already used to people yelling in my face. So I was good with that aspect of it as nicely as I can put that. 
Yeah, I was about to ask how can how can people mentally prepare for the experience of something like a boot camp? And it sounds like in many ways you had already been prepared for it. Yeah, I don't know how you can mentally prepare for something like boot camp. It's it's a shock to the system. One of the aspects of the boot camp is that they're tearing you down as an individual to build you back up again. And that tearing down, I think, can be very difficult for a lot of people. And I guess people reach their breaking point and decide that they don't want to continue and they're not going to make it through boot camp, for example. Yeah. Or I've known people that have had mental breakdowns through boot camp and, you know, I think the Marine Corps decided to have them leave. And you mentioned being promoted right in boot camp to a leadership type position. Can you tell us a little bit more about the type of work you did post boot camp in the Marines? My only regret with joining the Marine Corps was the quickness in which I did it. I didn't really think through long term what my decision was going to be that was going to affect the rest of my life. So trying to just get in with a friend of mine, I was limited on what I could do. So I just was like, forget it. I'm just going to do whatever I can to get in and go and, and accomplish this thing. So my MOS was 0311. So I was infantry. That was very good for me in a sense that I sort of had natural leadership abilities in me where if you've ever been inside of a group of people and somebody comes up and, you know, throws a task out there, a lot of the times the group kind of like looks around as to, okay, you know, who's going to step up and lead this situation? Like who, somebody's got to take charge of the situation. We can't all just stand here and look at each other um, with dumbfounded looks on our faces and wondering who's going to, you know, step up. And a lot of the times I never had the fear of just stepping into the role and stepping up and whether I failed or not, at least I tried is my mentality is like, you know, if you're going to lead, there's always a possibility of failure. So don't be afraid to fail, but at least step up and attempt to do something, you know, that nobody else is trying to do. And that's one of the reasons why I became squad leader in boot camp was because nobody really wanted to be at the front of the line. Everybody wanted to hide. The one thing that you wanted to have happen in boot camp was the drill instructor not know who you are because the idea was if he knew who you were, he was going to come after you and you were going to get it even worse. So the idea I think that most people have is try not to be seen. <laughs> if you're not seen, then your life is going to be good and you're going to squeak through boot camp unseen. Uh, of course, that never really happens. But for myself, I was like, you know, you're going to get seen anyway is the mentality I, th I took to it. So I stepped up and, and, and took charge. And that sort of followed me through my career with the, the Marine Corps as well, always being willing to step into leadership roles and, and take responsibility for things, whether I failed or not. And I've had many failures in my life. I like what you said there, that sometimes leadership is stepping up to perform a task that nobody else volunteers to do, whether it's actually managing the people and directing their steps or just doing something that no one else volunteered to do. I think that you see those aspects in everyday life too. Oh, absolutely. I definitely have seen them in my career. I know a lot of individuals that tend to stay in the same roles for years and years and years because you know, maybe it's by choice. Maybe they just choose to, you know, do their job, their nine to five and go home. But I've never really had that mentality. 
the mentality that I've always driven toward is, you know, what can I do above and beyond? Not necessarily for being looked at by the companies that I'm working for, um, but for myself, because I just naturally want to be in those leadership roles where I'm stepping up and doing things that other people aren't doing. And a lot of the times, if you look at, especially my career track, it's just continually, you know, I'm progressing in an upward direction with my career. And I think it has to do with a lot of that doing above and beyond. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. As you said, applies in a lot of different ways in the business world, military world and beyond, just general life. Now, how long did you say you served in the military or in the Marine Corps? Excuse me. So I didn't finish my four years. I was in for about three and a half years when I got injured. Okay. Yeah. And that's essentially a force out at that point. Yeah. I broke my T11 and broke uh, my tibias. That's a pretty impactful injury. And I would imagine that much like the boot camp experience, the injury to be that catastrophic is also quite mentally taxing. What kinds of similarities and differences do you see in the mental aspect of recovering from that injury once you had completed something like the boot camp that was so mentally taxing? Yeah, I think one of the aspects there that I learned was to allow myself to lean on others and not look at asking for help in any situation as a as an aspect of weakness of myself. I guess growing up and being a Marine, I wanted to be a tough guy and take everything on myself and shoulder all responsibility and always step into the leadership role. But then to sort of have God take me a step back and say, I'm going to remove some of these things and teach you some new lessons here. One of which is you have to be able to allow yourself to lean on other people for help. During that time, I went, I, I lost my mobility. So I, I couldn't even walk to the commissary. I had to have somebody push me in a wheelchair and things like that were, were very taxing on me as, as a man that I wanted to be seen as being strong, not weak. I felt very weak in those moments when I couldn't stand because my legs were hurt and my back was healing. And in order to try to save face, I needed to show that I was strong during those moments and even rejected my own family visiting me um, because I didn't want them to see me as weak or see me in that position. And that was really a difficult time to try to deal with. I got a lot of guidance from others around me on how to you know, accept the fact of my situation and realize that there's things within my circle of control and, and just try to focus on and deal with those things that are in my circle of control and not the stuff that was outside of it. And do you think that the advice of, hey, Brandon, you're not weak by asking for help. Here are some things that are in your control coming from your peers who had gone through the boot camp with you and were people that you perceived as pretty tough individuals was more impactful to you coming from them than it might have been coming from your own family at the time? Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, having other Marines even tell the stories of their injuries and what they went through really inspired me. 
one of the things that inspired me the most was a book that uh, an individual gave to me called Medal of Honor Winners. Mm -hmm. And as I would sit at night and I would read through this book and I would read the harrowing acts of these individuals and what they went through, it it really inspired me in my situations and had me look at my situation in a completely different light. Because, you know, instead of trying to take pity on myself and my situation, my mindset became one of, you know, there's always others that have it worse than, than we do. No matter what our situation is, there's somebody that's got it worse. And then b- between that, I think that and and learning to allow myself to to be vulnerable and and show my vulnerability side that you know I really grew as an individual. Yeah, absolutely. And did you did you fully recover while still part of the Marine Corps, or was just maybe some of that done while still officially on active duty or leave? Originally. They didn't know my back was broken. When they triaged me, they had focused on my legs only. I was in a repairing session of that, and I was trying to get back to the fleet. So in order to do that, I had to pass my physical qualifications. So I worked on healing and going through that stage and eventually went back out into the fleet. And as no 311, and anybody that's been in that position before knows that we don't drive vehicles. We we hump everywhere we go. So our feet are our Cadillacs, and we're humping a 60-pound pack everywhere we go. So anytime I put on a pack and I was out in doing drills or whatever it may be, I kept complaining about back pain. And then finally, they took me in for x-rays, and that's when they came in and said, basically a year ago at that point, um, when you had been injured, your T11 compressed like a pancake. But it's naturally fused, naturally fused at this point, so there's nothing they could do. Whoa. So I got medically discharged and left the Marine Corps, and uh, that put me in a whole other experience of learning how to deal with my limit, some of my limitations at that point. And did, did you intersect technology in any way during your experience in the, in the Marine Corps, or did that come later? Um, so actually, my, my experience with technology came way before college or even the Marine Corps. I ended up getting back into technology later on down the road after the Marine Corps. But my first experience with technology was through my mother. She worked for a firm that was an accounting firm and they were upgrading all their computer systems. And so she bought me a used Commodore 64. And the only thing I could do with that thing was to go to the library and get books on programming and go home and try to create video games. That was before the internet as well. The world of computers was was that. And then, you know, exposure as I went through high school and obviously college. But I had just a, kind of a different mindset with college and the, the direction I was going to go there. But um, I always had a love for computers. Yeah, that's good to know. And we'll we'll dive into that a bit more. What are some of the things people really don't understand about the adjustment from being in the military to life as a civilian, especially when someone got injured in a way that you did? I think one of the things that uh, the military does very poorly is transition us back into the civilian world, because if you think about it, when you're in the military, everything is taken care of for you. Um, every aspect of your life, the decisions that you make, 
a lot of the time, those things are um, made for you. Um, not necessarily that you're a robot because the Marines don't want a robot. They want somebody that can think because your best weapon in the Marine Corps is your mind. So saying that, I think transitioning back into the real world tends to be a little bit more difficult. Initially, um, if you don't have support around you with family that understands, you know, sort of helping you with the transition, because there's things that you have to do that that you just, you know, you're, you're, you're doing for yourself now and you don't have somebody making all these decisions for you. So now you need to make decisions for yourself, what you're going to do and where you're going to go. I remember, I remember sitting in a restaurant once with my uh, family and I was looking at the menu and I'm like, you know, I'm used to just kind of going and eating, not having to make a decision as to what I want to (laughs) eat. So just simple things like that. I found uh, interesting uh, as I as I transitioned back into the real world, but not necessarily like I was excluded from the real world and all aspects of my life in the Marine Corps. But a lot of the times, I think your decisions are are made for you, so you don't necessarily think for yourself. <laughs> right. Then you're presented with all these choices, and you're not quite sure how to proceed. Right. Because that's a muscle maybe that you haven't been flexing while you're like you have the mental toughness and and physical toughness that it takes to to be part of the Marine Corps. Yeah. And I think some of the other aspects of it too are, you know, um, when you're, when you're in that, that mode of the Marine Corps or any service, especially during wartime, your mentality is much different and you're looking at all situations as a threat, a threat to your safety and those around you. So, you know, when, when you're kind of thrust back into a civilian life, when that civilians don't necessarily think about a threat, around them at all times, right? Or what's going to happen or that they're having to fight some war. Um, and there's aspects of PTSD, right, from that you have to deal with as well. So, And did you seek out any specific support groups or did your family help coordinate some of that? I'd really love to hear about that portion and how you were able to go from getting out to, okay, now I'm working on something again that's not part of the military. It's as a civilian? Yeah. Um, I had help from my family to kind of transition back in. My mom, you know, was a good advocate for me looking at school again and deciding on where I wanted to go. And I think at that point, I, I felt like I had a d- different direction than I had it before the Marine Corps mm-hmm. um, with economics. And I really wanted to get back into computers again at that point. So I started to look around where I was at and I got some some support and assistance with my from my mom on that that transition and back into school, um, utilizing my GI Bill and things like that. Um, but from you know a support system standpoint, I never really was one of those that got heavily involved with the VA or other aspects of the Marine Corps outside of once I left. I just kind of put that period of time in my life that was a chapter in a book that needed to be closed. And I felt like I needed to close that chapter and focus on what I wanted to do next. Okay. So you didn't really maybe keep in touch with any of your brethren from from the service? I did do that. And I still am in touch with uh, friends today. And they've gone through challenges of their own. So we've always been there to support each other. Some of them have stayed in and have made a career out of the Marine Corps, which I've always been slightly jealous of. but. Uh, my my fate went took me a different direction. 
you went back to school and decided to study computers. Was it like a management information systems type focus or tell us a little bit about that? I felt like the easiest track there for me to just, you know, get going was to look for a a school dedicated to computer certifications and training. I went back to school to a small college that focused on uh, computers. So I came out of there with my Novell certification, my uh, A+, uh, my MCSE networking. My first job was working for a company in California called Netport Internet Access. And my first job was to replace broken dial-up modems out of banks of modems. And I also <laughs> did web page design for their, their customers which I didn't even know anything about, but that was just another example of, you know, trying new things. Uh, They came to me and asked me uh, while I was working there if I knew anything about HTML programming. And I was like, heck yeah. And I went and taught myself HTML programming (laughs) and started building websites. Oh, that's so cool. And I can certainly see the ability to problem solve that would transfer very easily from military service like the Marine Corps. How about the interaction and communication with customers. What was adapting to that like for you after having served? It was interesting. I don't think that I ever had an issue with that because I always, you know, communication was always a key point to the job in the Marine Corps. Um, You had to clearly communicate your objectives to one another and what, what you were going to do to accomplish it. So moving into out of the Marine Corps into civilian life and finding myself picking up the phone and troubleshooting dial-up phone calls, it wasn't the communication that was the challenge, it was the fact that like somebody's got a blow dryer and their modem's connected to the wall next to it and it's freaking out every time the wife turns the blow dryer on to blow dryer hair and they're losing internet access and they don't know what's going on, right? So it was fun things like that that I learned to work through. But it was definitely experience, and I think that it was a good starting point for me, um, getting into technology and starting to get my feet wet because they allowed me to do a lot of other things as well as I grew there. Um, so I got involved with a lot of networking. I got uh, slowly in, involved with uh, Windows uh, operating systems with Windows NT. I had my first Novell server that I got to touch, things like that. So getting your hands into the technology is, is, is key. You can book learn all day long, but once you actually physically touch the stuff, it's completely different. And was your were your computer classes a mix of experiential type work and theory and concepts? Or was it mostly just, let's teach you how to study for this exam, and then you get your, we'll call it on-the-job training or hands-on experience once you get a job? Uh, no, it was, it was the first. So it was... It was book learning, and it was getting hands-on with the technology. It was the first time that I built the computer, so I built my first computer in, in that course that I was going through. Got my first hands-on with networking, things like that. Yeah, that's that's good. And working for a company that allows you to solve the problems of many different customers of that company really starts to broaden the range of of problems you're exposed to. And then you start to branch out into other areas. And once you did that, once you began to branch out, was there any specific area or thing that you learned where you kind of went, oh, I'd really like to focus on this? Or did you just want to keep expanding 
your knowledge set within the technology sphere? Yeah. So at first, I really loved networking. That's what I felt like was my my forte. Like I wanted to do everything networking. It was the backbone to everything, right? So without networking, there was no connectivity. If networking wasn't working properly and secured properly, nothing was going to be working outside of that. So that's what really drove me deeper into technology initially was the more I got involved with networking. So I ended up moving from Netport Internet Access to another company in LA, and I just managed all their networking, working on a networking team as a network administrator. And I just continued to develop as a network administrator through my time there. Now things eventually changed and I went different directions in my life, but that was really the foundation of what I had laid in front of me was the the networking portion of my career. And I had done that for several years before I sort of got it interested in other aspects of IT and wanted to branch out. And really what had led that to me was the fact that I had my MCSE, but I didn't really do a lot with it. So I decided to get recertified and convinced my company to move me over to Windows Systems Administration at that point. And I started building and getting involved with more conversations than I had prior. Not that networking isn't important, but I felt like it was a very boring aspect of my life. When I moved into Windows administration, I ended up getting exposed to the development and operations teams. And I started having conversations with them about the applications that they wanted to deploy. So I started getting an entire different aspect of technology about applications and their requirements and their dependencies and what it took to build a system to run those applications. And this is well before virtualization came on the scene. And so working with those teams, getting the requirements that I needed, having all that human interaction that I really didn't have before when I was on the networking team, and then going out and, and choosing the platforms, building out the, the Windows servers, deploying the applications, and then working with the networking team for the connectivity behind the scenes. I just felt a lot more complete at that point in my career. And I really enjoyed the conversations that I got to be a part of as, as part of that change. Did you speak with any peers or mentors before you decided that you wanted to branch into more of the the systems administration that you spoke of just now, the MCSE focus? Or did you just, did you decide that completely on your own? No, that was definitely not chosen on my own. That was staying in contact with my peers through um, the school that we had um, went through together. So when we were going through school together, we obviously would join study groups and we got to know each other. And so those friendships remained for a long period of time. and we sort of chose different paths. A lot of us chose different paths. We all didn't go the same direction in life um, with our career. I went one direction. Somebody else may just jumped right into Windows administration on Windows NT and, you know, they were happy or whatever. But I'm talking with them about the different aspects of what I was doing and what they were doing. And then talking with my manager about, you know, different aspects of things that I wanted to pursue in my own career. Um, sort of led me down that shift because he felt like I would be happier and I would be more productive um, moving in that direction and having more things to to do. 
Oh, that's excellent. So you asked for the shift of focus from your manager. I think that is maybe something that a lot of people might be missing. They either don't feel comfortable asking their manager for something that they want, or perhaps they've never been extremely direct about what they want to change in their career, in their project, or day-to-day focus. I think it's great that you felt comfortable enough with your manager to address that. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think a lot of the time we kind of just do our, our, our day-to-day jobs and we don't really think about what could be next or whether or not we're even happy with what we're doing. Um, sometimes I think we, that doesn't necessarily translate. You know, it's just a job and we're trying to do our job and pay our bills and go home. But for me, again, I, it was something that I, I, I felt like I needed to make a change. I felt being driven in a different direction. And um, one thing about me is that I tend to be very transparent and open. And so I did feel comfortable talking with my manager at the time and talking to him about moving in a different direction. And he was open to it and then made the introductions to the different areas in the organization that I needed to move to and supported me. So I think that's a really great manager. I've, I've really been blessed with some fantastic managers. I've had a couple that were really, really bad, but um, those ones that if you leave the organization or you change and you're changing for the better, then I think that they've been successful in helping you with your career. And that's what managers should do. With so many restaurants and food options out there, you would think that we as a society would be very good at asking for what we want because we've been conditioned to order, at least sustenance for our bodies. Are you conditioning yourself to ask for what you want in your job, in your career? Brandon talks near the end of that episode about asking for what he wanted, and that was a move into Windows Systems Administration. I loved his comment that managers should support us even if we leave their team. This is a pattern we see with what we would call good managers or what a manager should be. And it makes me think back to Don Jones in episode 137 and 138 as just one example. But when people on the show have reflected back to what a good manager was for them, many times they're citing that A good manager was concerned with their career, even if it took them outside that manager's team. There's also this theme of leadership in that discussion. Brandon talked about, even in the Marine Corps, a willingness to step up and volunteer when no one else will, to take on a task because it needs to be completed, not to be a showboat, but to do what needs to be done, and in a way that can help you learn and grow. And that doesn't have to involve managing people to take this form of leadership. It certainly can, but those two are not one and the same. They're mutually exclusive. And there's also this idea of remaining calm. Brandon talked about how they were trained to remain calm and try to think clearly during very tense wartime situations and be concerned about the safety of others. I've heard from high-performance coach 
Brendan Burchard that emotional control is one of the biggest hindrances affecting people's career growth, especially for leaders. If you are someone who can bring calm to a situation, even if it begins to escalate, that is a form of leadership. Whether you're the manager of all the people in the room having the discussion or not. And these types of scenarios, especially if you are interviewing for a position that requires leadership qualities or leading people, those are good stories to have ready for those interviews, things to highlight on your resume. Even though Brandon had struggles throughout his journey that we've heard so far, he stayed connected. He stayed connected to his fellow Marines and allowed them to give him some advice when he got injured. He helped him understand that he needed to ask for help and that it wasn't a weakness. And he continued to stay in touch with his fellow Marines even to this day. I think we can see that this idea of getting support is important, especially for our veterans. There's a lot more to transitioning to civilian life than we think. Another good episode to go listen to on that topic is episode 170 with Joe Shenevy. If you are a veteran out there listening to this, a lot of companies have special support programs where they are looking to recruit veterans and the special skills that they have to come work for that company. And if you think being a veteran doesn't make you marketable, go back and listen to Paul Green's story about a Marine who became his lead developer back in episode 93. That's a great story. Back to the support aspect and and staying connected. Brandon also got support from the students in his technology class. He stayed connected with them. He got to know them when they were in study groups together, and he continued to talk with them about what they were doing in their roles in the workforce and what he was doing. Doing that kind of thing helps you determine what you might want to do next, and it was certainly influential on his decision to focus more on Windows and operating systems than networking and hardware. This idea of staying connected helps you continue the conversation and keep up with other people and what they're doing, and you never know what you might learn about something you could do as a result. And then even though when Brandon was in the Marines, he kind of pushed his family away when he got injured, he did re-embrace that family support and get connected again, and he cites his mother as being a big advocate for him as he was trying to figure out what to do after leaving the Marines and, and trying to enter the workforce again. I think you'll see this theme, these themes of leadership and staying connected, getting support from others, are going to come back in the discussions with Brandon, but you'll have to wait until next week to hear the next installment of the story. Farewell listeners, tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at B Journeyman, Finnick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore, signing off. Adios. Adios.